0: Our lesson this morning is from Genesis chapter 4. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. is desirous for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations in our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. I was probably nine or ten years old when I gave my dad what I thought was the most perfect Christmas gift. It was a masculine manicure kit. And I know what you're thinking, how was he so lucky? (laughs) And you're right. (laughs) I thought this was just the best gift for my dad. And I would just like to say for those of you who are questioning it, he did love it. So we have a videotape of me at this age giving it to him, describing how when I got into the Christmas store at our school, which they still did back then, this was the 80s, and um, I looked at it and I said, that's my daddy, and I bought it and I brought it home, and it was the first time I ever had given my dad a gift that I thought he would really like. And my dad isn't a super emotional guy, and he kind of gives me a side hug in the video. But this is what I remember, is later on, there he was, using the kit. He put it away in a special spot, and to this day, he still has it. And I cannot remember many details from most Christmases of my past, but I remember the joy of giving that gift, and the wonderful feeling of having my dad actually really love it. But I wonder, what if it had gone the other way? What if I, at that young age, had given it to my dad and he had looked at it and said, oh, thanks, set it aside, left it under the tree, and ignored it? I wonder if I would still remember that Christmas, but with a whole lot of different emotions, a whole lot of different feelings. I will admit that there have been a few times in my own life where I have not actually graciously received some gifts. And when I look back on it now, I feel pretty bad. There was one gift, I'm sorry, Jeff, I didn't tell you about this, one gift Jeff gave us, (laughs) gave me while we were dating, and I, at the time, he said, if you don't like it, we can return it. And I said, no, 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 it's fine. And then, like, months later, he found out I didn't like it. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm not going to tell you why I didn't like it. (laughs) None of that matters, But what does matter was because when he found out, he felt bad. And so I don't know if I've said this, but I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I actually feel bad about it. And part of it happened from reading this story of Cain and Abel today. In our story, we hear about two brothers who both go to give gifts to God. And one of those gifts is received with joy and delight, just like my dad received the gift from me. And the other gift is not received so graciously. And in fact, we're told in the biblical story that God had no regard for Cain and his gift. So maybe God was a little bit more like me in that circumstance. (laughs) And of course, as you can imagine, it had some bad effects. It appears that there is favoritism, there is anger, there is violence, And there's even a murder, the first murder in the Bible. And it wreaks some awful effects. And I will say I get caught up on the beginning of this story. I keep wondering to myself, well, why didn't God like the gift? What was God's problem? Was there something wrong with the gift? Did God have a reasoning? And scholars throughout time have asked the same questions I have. And there's all sorts of theories out there. Some people think that maybe God didn't receive Cain's gift so graciously because it wasn't the very best gift he could have given. Other people think maybe Cain didn't give the gift with a grateful and joyful heart. Maybe you've received a gift like that and you understand. Some people think that this story isn't about gift-giving at all, but it's actually the beginning of showing God's favoritism for nomads and shepherds, which Moses and David are, over farmers. Hmm. These are all interesting theories, but the biblical narrative does not ever give us an explanation for why God does not like this gift. Instead, we are left wondering... Or using our own imagination for what happens. But what we do know is that it adversely affects the relationship that Cain has not only with God, but also his brother. So you would think that Cain would be angry with God, which I think he was, but Cain, in essence, takes his anger out on the person who had nothing to do with the reception of this gift. He turns to his brother, and that is where the conflict begins. This story might be used as an explanation of the the spiral effects of sin, as I talked about with the kids. But I also think it's helpful for us to examine because the feelings, the human emotions that are present in it are fundamental to who we are. Acceptance and rejection, jealousy, anger, favoritism, these are fundamental aspects of the human experience. If you watch a group of toddlers playing, you will see this transpire. There will be acceptance and rejection, jealousy and anger, and even violence at times, right? Because this happens on the playground when someone is left out, when someone gets the better treat, when someone gets chosen and someone doesn't, all of the time. And from a very early age, we have to figure out what to do with those emotions that come from these feelings. It usually starts to happen, and perhaps this is where the biblical narrative is right, um, between siblings, right when that second child gets brought home from the hospital. Those feelings of acceptance and rejection, jealousy, favoritism, all of that. Now, I'm a second born, so I didn't never had any of those emotions whatsoever. So I just have to learn from other people about this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm also the youngest. But I do remember when my second born came home from the hospital. When Lily came home, Helena was three years old at the time. And I remember people at my last church going up to her, as we almost all do to older children, and we say to them, how do you like being a new big brother or sister, right? And the kid, which it's kind of funny to watch, the kid's like, "Mm." (laughs) because they know they're supposed to be like, yeah, it's great, but they don't really feel it. And you know they don't feel it. And um, so they don't really answer, especially when you're three and you're shy in the first place. And I know that this is, like, from what I could perceive of Helena, and she's not here to defend herself, she's in Montana, so don't tell. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she loved getting the gifts that were given to her, which would come, like, people would give us a gift for Lily, and then they'd also get a Helena gift, so that was awesome, But as far as this baby who was supposed to be her playmate, who just laid around and ate and slept and pooped, ah, she was not so certain. And my dad and mom came down, and I remember my dad saying, you know, having a sibling is not a promotion, It's a demotion. You go from 100% of the time to 50% of the time or less. It's not a good deal for you. I see some looks out here. I'm seeing some nods from the kids. You know what I'm saying. Um, But eventually, hopefully, our relationships with our siblings move beyond that. But those feelings of jealousy, I think, infect our sibling relationships more than any other. I will, I do remember as a kid, we had a, a very small trophy shelf in our house. Um, I had no trophies on it. <laughs> My sister had a couple dance and softball ones, and I would look at it, and I'd be like, oh, if only. But I never, like, earned a trophy, and they didn't give them away back then. You actually had to, like, win the tournament. I think you still do. <laughs> um <laughs> And and so I never got one. And I kept thinking, if only I could be as good as my sister. And when my parents would praise my sister, I would think, oh, I just am not as good as her. And I had these feelings of insecurity and jealousy. But the reality is my parents treated us equally. They praised me too. It's just in those moments we suddenly feel some sort of, like, competition, as if there's a zero-sum game. You can only love the one kid and not the other. And maybe you all are better at this than me, and praise be to God, but I understand this Cain and Abel situation is all I'm saying. (laughs) And that's what's happening in our story, right? Jealousy, rage, acceptance, rejection, favoritism. And what do we do with that? The central question here is not why did God reject one gift and accept another, but instead it is how do we get along with each other? How do we live in relationship with brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends, especially when there are times in which we don't feel as if we are accepted? And what do we do in those moments when life is hard and we feel that we've been cast aside or disregarded? The story of Cain and Abel is a bad example. I mean, Cain might have justifiable reasons for being angry, but not at his brother. And it is never justifiable to go and kill somebody with our anger and our rage. In response to this, God does the right thing. He says no to that violence. He says this is never acceptable, no matter what your excuse is. And there is indeed punishment that goes along with this murder. The whole earth cries out and God says, You cannot do this. And it is not fair to blame God or blame Abel. It's never okay to blame the victim. And I think we do this sometimes. We see toddlers do it. You know, someone was mean to me, so I hit him. Not okay. But we also see it happen on a bigger scale. After there are violent acts in our society, we'll often ask, well, why did that person do that? Should we have been kinder? Should we have been including that person? I mean, probably yes. That's what we want to happen first, but we also need to know that how we respond to difficult situations is not to hurt other people. I often say to my kids, the only thing you can control in life is your own response. And the reality is, is that times life is not fair so what do we do in response to that fairness? After Cain is so distraught at God's rejection of the gift, God goes to Cain. And he says, if you had done well, would it have not been accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is lurking at your door. These feelings of jealousy and rage are present in every single one of us. This, uh, these are the things that separate us from God and from each other. And then God says, but you must master it. If you've ever read um, John Steinbeck's famous book, East of Eden, this is the phrase that almost the whole thing is about. And Steinbeck translates this phrase as not that you must master it, but thou mayest. You have the opportunity to master it. You have the opportunity to make a choice because God has given us free will. Free will to do the right thing or free will to do the wrong thing. And God wants for us to indeed choose life, to choose forgiveness, to choose acceptance. That is the path. But the biblical narrative does not shy away from the reality that too often we don't do that. The gospel message of this story is that even though Cain chooses the wrong thing, that God does not turn away from Cain. Cain turns away from God, but God says, Let me tell you this, before you go, I am putting my mark upon you. You are not going into this world marked by your sin, but marked by my protection and marked by my love. We have received the mark of God in our baptism, a mark that reminds us that no matter what, we are accepted and loved by God. And while the world might reject us sometimes, and while we might be frustrated and angry, God reminds us every day that you are my child, I love you. You are marked because of that identity as my child. In the end, Cain leaves, thinking he has left the very presence of God. And he goes to a land called Nod, which means the land of the wander- wandering or the wanderless. But we know from the biblical story that there is no place in heaven and on earth or in hell or life or death that God won't go to find us. And so we can go out into that world knowing some days will be difficult and hard and we might face rejection with the mark of God's love upon us and knowing there's no place that God won't be with us. And thanks be to God for that promise. Amen.